got a lot more trust in me than I have in me. So if you want me to throw all the way across the room, um, that's the problem. If I miss you, somebody else will catch it in the face. So I'll just hold on to it. Well, good morning. We're glad that you are here with us. If you're here in the room, if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning at Crossroads. If you're visiting with us, we're, we're glad that you're here. I'd like to ask you, if you're visiting, uh, grab a bulletin and fill out a connection card. That lets us know who you are, lets us know that you are, are here with us visiting today. Uh, let us know how you found out about us and what brought you uh, to Crossroads today. You can drop it in one of these boxes over here to my right, to your left, as, as you leave here in a little while. Well, hey, this weekend, Labor Day weekend, this is one of my favorite weekends of the year has nothing to do with it being a four-day weekend, has nothing to do with getting paid to stay home tomorrow, none of that. I mean, that's cool, don't get me wrong, but I love Labor Day weekend because it's the start of college football season. One person agrees with me on that. That's awesome. Thank you. One more than the eight o'clock service had, so that's, that's cool. Uh, college football kicked off this week. Yeah, yeah, there was a week zero last weekend. And there were a handful of games that were played, mostly with like mid-major, low-level schools that very few people care about, like Yukon or Hawaii or Nebraska. But uh, <laughs> by and large, <laughs> I was going to make a KU joke, but Brad said I was fired if I did, so I didn't do that one. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> they did, KU won, and stormed the field. That was, that was something. Um, but it's the start of college football season, and, and I don't know if you're like me. Yesterday, I fired up the grill, I turned the games on, and then I camped out and watched games all day long. Anybody else? Just me? Okay, yeah, I get it. This is Kansas City. It's a big league city. For most of you, that's probably going to be next weekend, Right? Like with the start of the NFL season, you're going to go home from church and you're going to get some lunch and the Chiefs kick off at like 3.30, that'll be you then. So who's excited for next weekend with the Chiefs and the Browns? There you go, okay. Just making sure there were some people out here. It's dark, I can't see anybody, so I don't know if anybody was even in the crowd yet or not, so that's great. Uh, it's funny because I'm not a diehard, passionate NFL fan. I never really have been. I've followed two teams that I've liked since I was a teenager, uh, the Green Bay Packers and the Cleveland Browns. Now, do not ask me to explain why or how I've been a Cleveland Browns fan for the last 20-plus years. It makes no sense. But they've got Baker Mayfield now, OU guy, so I'm all for the Browns and, and seeing them succeed. That said, I'm now contractually obligated to be a Chiefs fan. And so, next Sunday, Baker Mayfield and the Browns, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I just hope they all have a good time. That's what I'm rooting for next Sunday. Sports are, are funny. I, I love sports. I was never necessarily a great athlete. But sports are funny because sports cause us to have a different set of emotions and reactions to things than, than anything else does. I mean, think about sports. Those of you who are a diehard sports fan, you've seen like the highest of highs and sometimes the lowest of lows. Like when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, you, you were probably sky high, like through the roof, just, just the elation, the excitement, everything that went through you just drove that to this new level of, of, of feeling almost. 
Sports cause us to have incredibly high celebrations, but they also cause us to have low moments and sometimes tragically can lead to moments of vandalism. Uh, Last week, I had an OU coffee mug with me, and at the 8 o'clock service, two people threatened to throw it in the trash, and then (laughs) I did announcements at this service, and I came out to this. Now, don't clap. I'm not one to point fingers. I'm not one to cast blame. So I'm not going to tell you which of our music pastor's wife did this, okay? Because I, I, don't, I don't do that, okay? Like, I'm not going to publicly shame her, uh, Kelly, in that way. But this is what I came out to. And actually, the other side of my mug said, go pokes. I, I, I don't know. Apparently, there's somebody here who, who likes OSU for some reason. But that was what I, I came out to. A crime, okay? A, a, a crime of, of vandalism and, and bullying is really what that boiled down to. But this is what sports do, right? We're passionate. We love them. They drive our emotions, whether it's like me, college football, or like maybe it is for you. Or maybe it's baseball. Uh, for many of you, it's the Royals. For me, it's the Cardinals. For some people, for some reason, it's the Cubs. I don't quite get that, but come on, man. But that's what sports do. We, we have this idea that we are devoted to our, our teams, and we're going to be a fan today, we're going to be a fan tomorrow, we're going to be a fan next week, next season, regardless of what happens in the game today. And, and that's, that's just what sports do. Some of you understand where I'm coming from here. How many of you, uh, we're in Chiefs country, the season's about to start, how many of you have been Chiefs fans for decades? Clapping's more effective. There you go. She's been a Chiefs fan for decades. How about that? I'm assuming most of you raised your hands. Again, it's dark. I can't see you all. But uh, I'm assuming that you all raised your hands. Now, you're probably like me. A lot of you probably know people like I do who have been lifelong, diehard Chiefs fans since 2017. Okay? Like they have rooted for them their entire life since they got Mahomes. Or they've been lifelong diehard Royals fans for the last eight years. Didn't know they had a team in 2010, but then they were lifelong fans in the World Series, okay? You get that. But maybe you're like, no, Kurt, I'm an actual diehard lifelong fan. Like, I remember the days before Marty Schottenheimer. I can name all ten retired numbers. I watched every minute of the Herm Edwards era. I suffered through Matt Castle in 2 and 14. I am a fan. I get that. I get that. I was an OU fan in the 90s. That wasn't easy to be. It wasn't easy to do. But you understand that that devotion, that passion that comes through there. At times we start to put our teams onto like a a bit of respect and reverence that, that really we can't explain. And if we're very, very honest... When we step back and look at those teams, what we actually might be doing is bordering on worship. Now, before you start throwing things at me, I just want you to know I'm right there with you, okay? I had somebody after the 8 o'clock service say, man, I thought I was a sports fan, but you're crazy. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a fair statement. Uh, that's fair. I get it. I get it. 
what it is like to be a passionate sports fan. This is the fourth time that I have preached since I've been on staff here. If you're keeping score at home, it's the third time I've worn a shirt with one of my teams on it. I get it. I've been there. I understand the roller coaster that comes with being a fan. I was an OU fan in the 90s. I remember 1996 when we won three games and you asked yourself, are we ever going to be good again? And then four years later, I remember January of 20, or 2001, my senior year of high school, vividly remember the night when we, uh, the Sooners, as 11-point underdogs, beat Florida State in the Orange Bowl to win the national championship. And just that feeling like, is this real life? Like, is this really happening? I remember 2006, having never seen the Cardinals win the World Series in my lifetime. They won it the year I was born. That doesn't count, okay? I remember 2006, them just face-planting their way into the playoffs. Had the season gone on another week, I'm convinced they would have missed. But they made it, they got hot, they won the World Series. 2011, this time of the season, with a month left, they're up 10 games behind. And they caught fire and they won the wild card and they went on and won the World Series. But more than that, in the World Series, Game six against the Texas Rangers at Bush Stadium. I experienced every possible emotion you could experience that night. Greatest game ever played in baseball. Twice the Cardinals are down by two in the ninth and in the tenth inning, down by two, two outs, two strikes, and each time they came back and tied the game. I am not making this up. My wife's over here can verify this. I was face down in the carpet of my living room floor. I could not watch. And she goes, get up, it's fine. I said, I, no, I will not watch the Rangers celebrate on the field. Not going to happen. Turn it off. No, it's fine. I said, turn it off. Like, they come back and they tie. They come back and they tie. And then they win the game in extra innings. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I never doubt. Knew it all along. <laughs> I also remember twice the Cardinals being the far better team and losing to Boston in the World Series. Of all teams, it's got to be Boston. Losing to the Red Sox, those stick. I remember Oklahoma blowing a 17-point lead in the Rose Bowl a couple years ago to Georgia when they would have won the national title. Those stick, I get it. I'm on that roller coaster there with you. Sports have a way of locking us in. Our teams have a way of drawing us in. And, and we keep that devotion, that dedication, no matter how good or bad things go. Again, it can start to border on worship. You may have picked up where we're going today. We're, we're talking about worship today. Uh, worship is more than just a feeling. Worship is a devotion. It's actually defined this way. Worship is the extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. That's what worship is defined as in the dictionary. And, and worship is beyond just that. Because here's the thing about worship that I want you to understand today. And I'm going to say this a couple of times. We all worship something. Like we need worship in our lives because worship focuses us. We, we focus on something, we go towards that, and without that, we kind of drift. So worship focuses us. So the challenge I have to you is that we all worship something. And I've had people say, well, Kurt, I, I don't go to church. I don't believe in God. I don't worship. Yeah, you do. You just don't worship what I worship. You worship something else. I don't know what that is, but you worship something. And so what I want to ask today and look at is, as Christians, as people coming to church, how should we worship? 
Not so much the why, not so much the who, but the how. We're in this series right now called Together Again. Uh, Together Again is a series that we kicked off last week. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go and listen to Brad's sermon or watch Brad's sermon because he talked about the importance of community, being together, why we need to be together, why it's important as a church for us to be together. And so the idea of being together as the church, how does that look? Today, next week, we're going to look more at specifics of what we do. Talking worship today, talking serving next week. And then I'll come back in a couple weeks and we'll talk about community again from a different aspect. But when we talk about worship, the why, the how, it's for me, I go straight to the words of Jesus. If you've got a Bible, we're in John chapter 4. We're going to camp out there. You can kind of bookmark that. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screens. You can follow there uh, to, to, to follow along with the sermons today. But in John chapter 4, I'll get into the context of this in just a moment. Jesus is having a conversation with a woman sitting at a well in Samaria. And the topic of worship comes up. And she's asking the how questions. She's asking the specifics, like where should I go? How should I do it? Like how should I dress, etc., etc. And Jesus, in the middle of that conversation, tells her this about worship. He says, but the time is coming, and indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is giving God the true, unobstructed adoration that he truly deserves. Worship to me is, is putting our hearts and our minds and souls in tune with God so that we can rise above the, the muck and the chaos and the noise of the world. Uh, worship, for me, gets me through difficult times because it focuses me on God and not on all the stuff going on around me. And, and I think the problem that we, we kind of have sometimes as Christians is we, we forget about that. Because sometimes as Christians, as people who come to church on a regular basis, we have the most difficult time worshiping of anybody. Because we create ways to distract ourselves from it. We like to put parameters on worship or conditions on worship. On, on this has to happen so that I can. I know one thing that I have heard from people in every church I have ever been a part of, is I've heard somebody say, well, I couldn't worship today because, and they'll fill in the blank, the church I grew up in, the church we call our home-based church in Oklahoma, my church I served at in Oregon, I've heard it here too. I couldn't worship today because, and, and we'll fill in the blank. And the, the, sometimes those, those, I'll hear sometimes contrasting reasons in the same service. Like I'd hear somebody say, well, I couldn't worship because the music was too loud. And in the same service, somebody says, well, I couldn't worship because the music wasn't loud enough. And I'm like, okay, so I don't know how to respond. Do I just say, okay, we'll just, we'll just not do music next week. How's that? <laughs> like, we, we do this. And I'm not trying to, like, poke at you if you've said this. But we have our reasons why we can't. And let me be very honest with you. I have had my reasons why I can't. You'll hear me say this many times. I was a church member, and I've been a church member far longer than I've been a pastor. I've sat where you're sitting far longer than I've stood where I'm standing. So I have had plenty of reasons, plenty of excuses, plenty of, of things myself. And if I'm being very honest with myself in those moments, when I come up and say, well, I couldn't worship because, 
what I'm really doing is I'm putting myself at the center and focus of my worship and not God. And that's, it's not about me. It's not about you, it's about him. And that's something for me that I have to, to focus on. So what I want to do today, in, in the time we have left, is I want to look at the statement Jesus made when he tells her to worship in spirit and truth. And I'm just going to make a couple of observations about this text because I think that'll help us understand what worship is and why we do it, but how we do it and how we do it together. So here's my first observation. God only wants true worshipers. He only wants true worshipers. What do you mean by that, Kurt? What's, what's a true worshiper? Like, I show up to church every Sunday, and, and I sing, and I really mean it from the heart, and I even raise my hands sometimes. Like, I'm a true worshiper. Okay, I'm not saying that you're not. But here's how Jesus kind of backs this up and talks about it. Go back a couple of verses to where we just were. In John 4, verse 21, again, they're having this conversation about worship, about where to worship specifically, and here's what Jesus tells her. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. A little quick history context here, the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. There are multiple reasons why he should not have been. A Jewish man didn't talk to a woman. A Jewish person didn't talk to a Samaritan. And she's been divorced multiple times. So no self-respecting man would ever talk to a woman like this because you just didn't do that. That was beneath you. But more than that, a Jew and a Samaritan, they didn't mix. Jews hated Samaritans. We, we read the story of the good Samaritan and we, I think, in our minds equate this idea that a Samaritan was good. We have organizations called the Samaritan's Purse or a Samaritan's Hospital. And we're like, oh, a Samaritan, that's good. Not to a Jew, it wasn't. Jews wanted a pure race. Jews were only allowed to marry other Jews. They were only allowed to have pure Jewish children. And, and, and somewhere along the line, some Jewish people started going outside their ethnic group and, and marrying and having children with people of other races. And those became the Samaritans. They were viewed as a watered-down race. They were called half-breeds. And as a result, the Jews wouldn't allow them to come to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. So the Samaritans had to create their own temple. They weren't allowed to come worship with the Jews. Now, I I'm, I'm, don't know about you, I'm really glad this only happened in Bible times. And we've never had to deal with this in our culture, in our day and time, that somebody can't worship with us because they're not like us. Okay? That was a joke. I absolutely know that we do. And it's a joke, but it's not a joke because we do this. And maybe we don't do it along racial lines like we did once upon a time, but we still do it along other lines that we have constructed. We build up walls of truth. And if you were here a few weeks ago, I talked about Philippians 4 and said that we're supposed to focus our minds on whatever is true. The problem is we create our own truths these days. Over half of Americans don't believe in absolute truth anymore. And... When we do that, we create our own truth. If I build my walls out of my truth, you're only allowed in if you agree with my truth. That's kind of the way our society and culture is working today. And unfortunately, the church has followed along. But when we worship in spirit, when we connect with God through the spirit, he busts through the walls. His spirit isn't contained by our constructs, by what we build. And so what Jesus is saying here, I think, is that when we learn to be spiritually connected to God, 
When we understand that and we begin to embrace that, what we learn is that we have one identifying mark that is child of God. You could look at me and you can label me with all sorts of labels, all sorts of, of, of descriptions, all sorts of things that I can identify by. I'm a firstborn, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, uh, I, I'm from Oklahoma, I went to college, I'm a, I'm a Gen X slash millennial, right on the cutoff. You, there's all sorts of things, you could label me by my Enneagram, by my disc, all of these different labels, and they're true. But none of them matter, the only one that matters is child of God. And the same goes for you. That whatever labels you have on your life, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that's the same description for you. It's child of God. And when you accept that and acknowledge that within yourself, what you do is you put God on a pedestal. Parents, you get this. My kids put me on more of a pedestal than other people because I'm their dad. They come to me when they need things. They trust me in different ways than they trust everyone else. The same applies to us and God. And that's what Jesus is referring to here, us putting God on his pedestal. And I I say that because he uses an interesting word here. There's several words throughout the New Testament that get translated for worship. Right here, Jesus uses the word proskuneo. And proskuneo is literally defined, I love this, as to kiss toward. I don't think that means like I just make a kissy face at you or that I blow a kiss towards you. That's kind of what we do when we say we'll kiss toward. It's kind of an affectionate, you know, sort of semi-joking thing that we do with each other, a little loving thing you might do with your kids or your spouse. But to kiss toward, to proskuneo, is to treat someone like you might treat a king. Or a queen. And now we've never dealt with this in our culture, but you see in other cultures where they have royalty, they'll kneel in front of them and kiss their hand. That's kind of what proskuneo is doing here. It's putting God on his throne and bowing before him in reverence. Worship isn't so much a posture of hands up, it's a posture of knees down and head bowed towards our Lord. The last three weeks... You guys have seen some, the 1045 has seen some. Last three weeks, we've baptized nine people. Yeah. And if you've seen those, or if you've seen another baptism, you've seen something that is said right before they go under the water, whether it was me or whether it was Phil or Matt that's did some in the past few weeks or any other pastor some, some will ask two questions and get a response. I like to have somebody repeat after me the statement. And the first part says that I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the second part, and I accept him today as my Lord. That's not just idle words. That's not just a statement that we say to make people clap and, and, and feel good. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement of fact We give him the keys to our life. We give him control of our life. We go to the waters of baptism and we surrender and submit our lives to him. That is proskuneo. That is putting him on his throne. That is acknowledging him for who he is. That's worship. It's that feeling, that idea of reverence and respect. But my second observation kind of goes along those same lines. It's, it's not just that God wants a true worshiper. God also wants us, he says, to worship in spirit and in truth. 
So we, we make Jesus our Lord. That's a true worshiper. So what do we do with it? Spirit and truth. He, he kind of says that here in this passage. Again, go back to verse 24. He says, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the thing about this that I, I, I love is the idea of, of the spirit being in us and a spiritual connection. It's not something tangible. We can't see God or touch God or feel God or hear, like I've never heard God. You know, it's always been something spiritual in my heart that stirs up or in my soul that stirs up. But there's a line in this, this, this passage right here from Jesus that's kind of a bit of a throwaway line. Like it's one that you may not catch on to initially. And, and I'll be honest, it took me a while to catch it. And now that I have, it's like, it's the most glaring line in this, this passage. But back in verse 23, he says, the father is looking for those who will worship him this way. Some translations say the father is seeking those. That's what separates Christianity. That to me is why I worship. Because I have a God who is searching for me more than I'm searching for him. A God who is chasing me and pursuing me more than I am pursuing him. People have asked me, Kurt, what's the difference in all the different religions? Aren't they all the same? I said, well, here's the the number one difference. And this is the only difference I need. All the other religions out there, whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, it's about you doing things to please a God. It's about you trying to get close to a God. It's about you working your way to a God. And Christianity is about a God who came to you and met you where you are, met you in your brokenness. Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together and earn his love. He came after us. And he says that he is looking for us in this passage. He is seeking us out. And here's the beauty. When you are baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes into your life and into your heart. And then God is with you always. Jesus said in the Gospels that that those of us who came after him would be greater than those who came before him because while he walked the earth, he could only be with you like I can be with you right now in the physical form. If I'm not with you physically, I'm not with you. Like you say, well, we're with you in spirit. Okay, but I'm not physically with you. But the Holy Spirit is with us all the time and because the Spirit is with us all the time, God is with us all the time. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said that, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, he says. You're God's. Your body is the temple of the Spirit. And because we have the spiritual connection to God, we can start to find that truth connection. We worship in spirit, we worship In truth, what's that mean? Worshiping in truth is the understanding and acknowledgement that Jesus is truth. Nine times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is called truth. It doesn't say Jesus speaks truth. It says he is truth. He's the very source of truth. He's the very source of love and the very source of goodness. Truth flows out of Jesus so that when he speaks, the truth is spoken. And the problem that too many of us have in the church and out of the church both is that we, 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 we forget that. And we take Jesus and again we mold our own truths around him and we just get off kilter a little bit. 
and we just start to drift a little bit. And here's the thing, even though we have a God that loves us and a God that pursues us, when we run away, God will let us drift. He'll let us. He's not going to force us to believe. He gives us the free will. And, and sometimes that leads to tragic consequences. The Apostle Paul understood this in, in the book of Romans, which to me might be the most impactful letter for the church today. Romans, he starts it off this way in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Again, I am really glad this only happened in Bible times and not in our day and time. Like seriously, if I didn't know better, I would think that Paul wrote this last year like, and gave it to the American church last year because that's just so dead on for where we are. We've traded the truth about God for a lie. And here's the problem, here's the issue with, with this idea is, is that without true worship, true worship focused on God, we lose sight of who he really is. Without true worship focused on God, we lose sight of our purpose in him. Without true worship focused on God, we lose our identity as Christians and our identity as the church. We need this. Because again, if we don't have this, we're just going to roam aimlessly. John Wartburg is a, a pastor. He's an author. He's written several books. He had this great line where he said, I need worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and I plod through life with blinders on. Now I'll tack something on to what he said here. Because I would say without worship of God, I lose all that. Because again, go back to what we said earlier, we all worship something. The question is, what? So, and I say this, and I don't mean to say this as, you know, some kind of just pointed statement. But I think we're all trying to figure out who Jesus is. And at times we dress Jesus up in a way that looks a lot like we do. And I want us to be careful with that. Because when we do that, we personalize Jesus and we get off the mark. And we're not the first people to do this. The disciples did this. The woman he's talking to here did this. Go, go back to the conversation here. Jesus has just said to worship the Father in spirit and truth. And look at verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one they call the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Okay, you, you ever been there where you're like, man, if God would just show up, he'd tell me what's going on. And God's like, dude, I'm right here. I've literally been right here the whole time. That's what Jesus tells the woman. He's like, yeah, that's me. I am that Messiah that you're waiting on to show up and explain everything. And I've just been explaining it to you. 
And I don't think Jesus says this like in an exasperated way. He had the disciples following him for three years. They had no clue who he was. They thought they did, but they didn't fully understand who he was until after the resurrection. Then it finally made sense to them. And so we need to understand this. Too many of us, I think, are still looking for our Messiah. We're still trying to figure out exactly who Jesus is. And when we do that, again, we put our hopes, we put our thoughts, we put our focus, maybe even our worship, into someone else. So I'm just going to ask you the question, and I want you to chew on this this week. Who are you making your Messiah? Is it Jesus? Is it your own version of Jesus? Is it someone else? And I'll say this because I know next year, the even-year cycle rolls around. You know what's coming. It's election season. And then two years after that, and two years after that, in every election cycle, I see Christians who I believe to be very solid, grounded Christians, very deep in the word, at least on Facebook, putting all of their hopes into a mortal person. And you'll hear me say this. This isn't some high and righteous or mighty thing on my part. It's a, it's a reminder to myself. Every election season, I'm going to say it over and over. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He is my Messiah, and I need that reminder. I need that focus on him. Here's my third observation. We worship as true worshipers. We worship in spirit and truth. But the third observation is this, folks. We need to worship together. We need to worship together. Again, we're in this series called Together Again. And the idea is, like Brad said last week, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we like the phrase or not, we are in a new normal. Our society is different now than it was two years ago. And there's probably no going back to it. So how do we as a church move forward in this? That's the question. And that's what we're hoping to address, coming back together in some way, shape, or form. Last week, Brad jumped into Acts chapter 2. That's a passage we're going to use all throughout this series. Because in Acts 2, we see the church get launched. We see the Holy Spirit show up and the church just explodes. Peter gives this sermon. 3,000 people show up and are baptized. Day one, the church was a mega church. And then we see what happens next. And I love how, how Luke writes this all out in Acts chapter 2 because he just tells us what they did. Starting in verse 42, it says, all the believers, all of them, together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. In other words, they went to church. And look at verse 44. All the believers, all of them, met in one place. They went to church. They shared everything they had. They took care of one another. Jump to verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple. They went to church. And, and, and beyond just meeting together at the temple. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals. They went to a small group. <laughs> they did the things that we need to be doing today. They did it together, and they did it in community. Folks, I, I get it. COVID is still out there. It's still going on. It's still raging. And we've got these variants going on that we don't really know anything about. We think we do, but we really don't know that much about them. And I know that COVID is, is a real and scary thing for many of you, especially if you have an underlying health condition. I've got a friend who doesn't have an underlying health condition. 
He's 26 years old and is hooked up to an ECMO machine right now and will be for the next four months to save his life. He missed the birth of his daughter by a week. He was in the hospital when his daughter was born. He hasn't got to see her yet. And she'll be probably six months old before he does. COVID's a real thing. You be praying for him. His name's Charlie. You're praying for him and his family. COVID is a real thing, and it's a very real, scary threat to a lot of people. So I hope you hear my heart and what I'm trying to say here, and that I'm not coming off as insensitive. And I know that there are many of you watching online today, and you're home because of COVID. I get that. I get that. What I'm about to say doesn't apply to you. And I know it's a holiday weekend, and there are a lot of people traveling. That's cool. That's fine. Uh, There's a lot of people who go on vacations. That's great. That's awesome that you get to do that. But there are far too many people where church has simply become something else to do. And now that we have online church options, there are far too many of you who have discovered it's very easy to go to church in your sweatpants on the couch every week. And your only reasoning is just because you don't want to get up and drive across town. And and, and I get that. It's easy. It's easy. I show up at church early every Sunday morning at our church in Oregon. I showed up at about 6.30 or 7 every Sunday morning. We didn't have church till 9.30, but I got there early because I needed to go through stuff and get stuff ready. It was really nice to just put on PJs or put on sweatpants and go sit on the couch. I, I get that. But we need to be together. We need to be here together. And for far too many people, and the stats back this up, Church is just something else to do. And you come when you're free, you come when you're open. And I say the stats back that up because right now in America, the person who calls himself a church person, this was before COVID, we don't even know the numbers after COVID yet, who calls themselves a church person comes one and a half times a month. Out of four Sundays, you're here one and a half. Folks, we need to be together. We need to be here together. Online church has amazing advantages. Again, those of you who are home right now because you're sick or because of COVID, we are so glad that you're with us. And I know many of you are here every week online. You still give, you still let us know you're here, and we appreciate that. And beyond just that, I mean, the gospel has been spread more in the past 18 months than probably any point in our American church history because of the reach online. Our church in Oregon, we ran about 135 people before COVID. Our first week online, we had over 2,500. It wasn't because of my preaching. It wasn't because of our music team. That's just because God used that to just explode it. Life Church out of Oklahoma City, biggest church in the country. On a given Sunday, given weekend, they have about 50,000 people that attend at all their services across all their campuses across the country. On Easter last year, they registered over 10 million people online watching their service. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. People are hearing the gospel who wouldn't even step foot in a church. Praise God for that. I've got a cousin who, who caught a bit of my sermon online last year. I don't know the guy the past 20 plus years. I haven't, I haven't been around him much. But I know his life's been dumped upside down and he heard me preach about God loving you no matter what you've done and he called his mom and he said, is that true? I, I watched Kurt on Facebook 2,000 miles away. Is that true? Praise God for that. But here's the problem with it. And we're not getting rid of our online service. We're going to keep it going. But it should be a temporary placeholder. It should never be a permanent replacement. 
that you say, well, I'm going to go out of town and I can just watch church as I go. No, be here. Be here. Go back to sports here for a second. Again, the Chiefs kick off next Sunday. What is it, 3.30? Nobody knows, really? I figured some of you have timers set on your watches. Like, you know, like at the locker room, those countdown clocks? Some of you probably have those, let's be honest. So 3.30 next Sunday, how many of you are going to be camped out on your couch with the grill rolling, and it's don't text me, call me, or talk to me for the next three hours? You've got an appointment, okay? There's no hands going up, but I don't believe any of these no hands going up. I'm assuming that's most of you in this room. Okay, let me ask you another question. Those of you who are going to be on the couch or in your chair or wherever you watch the game, how many of you, if I gave you a free ticket to the game, paid for your parking, and said, here's 50 bucks for concessions, you'd pass it up? Brad Fogo is on record as saying he would pass up a free ticket to the Chiefs game. <laughs> a Royals ticket then, Brad, how about that? Maybe not, okay, he doesn't care. Forget that, that was a bad example. You're probably going to the game, most fans. I would be. And again, I'm not even a real fan yet. I'm still just contractually obligated to be one. So, and I would still go. I would still go. I would go to an OU game, given the chance, over watching it on my couch every day of the week. I'd go to a Chiefs game, a Royals game. I want to be there. I want to be in the crowd with 80,000 people screaming their heads off. Because I just, when I'm there, there's a feeling that goes up inside me. And even more than that, more than being in the stands, you know where I really want to be? I want to be down on the field. I want to be playing the game. I want to be throwing the passes or, or taking off and running the routes. I go to a, a Royals game, I want to be out in center field or at shortstop. That's where I want to be. And I've said this before, the only reason that I'm not playing professional baseball or football right now is just simply because I'm not a very good athlete. That's the only reason I'm here with you all instead of over there getting ready for a game. Some of you laughed like, yeah, we know that. That kind of hurt. Folks, you can watch church online. And you can legitimately get into it. You can pull up a worship set with a full professional praise band. And, and you can worship along. You can stand in your living room and raise your hands and sing from the bottom of your heart and worship. I don't have a doubt about that. You can sit on your couch and you can have your Bible out in notes and you can take notes and follow the sermon, whether it's me or whether it's Brad, and, and, and get just as much out of the sermon as you can here. In fact, sometimes it's easier because you can pause it and go back. What did he say? I need to go back and get that again. And I know you might find this hard to believe. You can actually find better preachers than me or Brad online. I know it's shocking, but you can find them. There's like three of them out there. But you miss something. You miss something when you're not here. I've only been with you guys a few months, and there's already a camaraderie that has built up between me and some of you guys where we can poke at each other. We, we have our little inside jokes already. Uh, I've got people who will tease me. I have relentlessly today about my shirt, uh, about my coffee mug or whatever it is. We have conversations that might take place that, yeah, they might be brief, but there's something we would miss if we're not here. So be here. I honestly believe this. If we want to worship 
together, then we truly need to be together. It's that simple. Hebrews chapter 10, verse that, again, Brad mentioned last week that's going to get repeated throughout this series. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's the theme verse for our small groups that are going to launch here in a couple of weeks. And, and if you're not signed up for one yet, I would encourage you to do that outside in the foyer after service. Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says this, that we should think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He says, let us not give up meeting together. Come to church. (laughs) Come to church. We want to worship together. Folks, we need to understand this is not a spectator sport. No, they're not going to let me on the field at a Chiefs game or a Royals game. They'll let me be in the stands. At church, it doesn't matter if you're the best athlete, if you're elite. What matters is that your heart is here and chasing after God. Because you come here and we all can worship the same way. It doesn't matter if you're standing up here or sitting out there or back in the booth or where you're at, we come and we worship together. Church should never simply be about, well, what can church do for me today? Or what can I get out of church today? Church should be, how can I become more like Jesus today? And how can I grow with my brothers and sisters in Christ today? So here's a takeaway for you. It's very simple. Come to church. (laughs) Worship with us. If you're online, come to church and worship with us. If, if, if you're staying home because of COVID, we're praying for you and with you. And as soon as you can, we want to see you back here worshiping with us. But be here. Make church a priority in your life as we move forward. I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. And, and, and as I do, uh, the, the, the band's going to come out. And at the end of my prayer, we're going to invite you to stand. And we're going to enter into a time of worshiping together through song. And then we're going to worship together through communion. And then we're going to worship together through a time of fellowship. The idea is that everything we do today is going to be a time of worship. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for Jesus who lays things out in front of us that might seem hard, but that he reminds us of who he is. And he reminds us that because of who he is, that because of what he's done for us, that everything is laid out perfectly in front of us. So God, I pray today as as we come to to sing, God, as we come back next week and the week after, God, that, that devotion, that passion would lock into our hearts and our souls. And God, that as we come, we would block all this, the stuff from the world out. We would block everything going on out and we would focus on you. God, we love you. And I pray today as we prepare to proskuneo you, God, that we would always have that reminder to keep you on your throne. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen.